Welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast which asks which movies are well worth watching and remembering for all time. Every episode, we discuss a different piece of film history to decide if it should make its way into our movie vault. Filled with questions, trivia, and crazy challenges, it's the perfect way to deep dive into a myriad of movies. But don't just take my word for it. Here's a glimpse of what to expect in today's episode. But I think for the integrity of this podcast, I think more Vanessa Hudgens movies <laughs> and like exploring because she and really it's a reward for for old Nessa for being just the best part of that movie we just watched. Like she was honestly on holiday the whole time, and I loved it. And I really want to see what else she's done with her life. Like is she that just detached and joyful in all of her movies? All right, Mr. Demille, I'm ready for my close-up. Are you not entertained? Hello and welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast that asks which movies are well worth watching and deserve to be remembered for all time. I'm your host, David Osger, and I'm joined by my co-host, some say the brains of the operation, Craig McDonald. Hello, Craig. You played it safe with that one, I approve. <laughs> Does this mean I'm Jeff Tracy? No, oh. like, <laughs> at best you're Tintin. <laughs> God. <laughs> so you're you're in control and you're making all the machines and everything? The, yeah. Okay, as long as I'm not like the manservant, but I guess Tintin almost is that in I the mean, show. look... I, I'm just very glad you just be like, and today, despite his head of hair, we have our very own hood. <laughs> I just didn't want to go for any racial implications in what, in that that kind of comparison. Oh, and, and I've just thrown that out of the window by <laughs> not only referring to you by the wrong race, but the wrong gender to boot. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's a double pronged attack there. So, yep. Craig, uh, today we're going to have quite a fun episode and recently I think this is, uh, as we talked about last time, you've had quite a rough time and going through a lot of dark more gritty stuff so i said last time it's taken you a lot to build up to battle royale but this week you've definitely managed to change course without you know spoiling what the film is already but uh, i think also it shows your debating skills because if you look back at last year in a similar vein you were kind of like look i'm fed up of like this like these films that treat women really badly let's get off this trajectory and you managed to convince uh the guests at the time to go for Aaron Brockovich. It's kind of a similar vibe of being like, look, we need to get off this. Can we get, you know, something that is going to change course as much Let's as possible? Let's be fair. I think I just lucked out by the fact that the guest completely guessed what my film was going to be, resonated with it quite heavily, and then accidentally blurted it out in our Zoom <laughs> chat. So that if, if anyone else was ambiguous as to what it was, there was no ambiguity after that. But like, I'm sorry, just... It's been months of just violence, just a lot of, lot of violence. So I just needed something to break away from the violence. It's kind of how the world is right now, but um, let's not go into that, you know. Oh yeah, because we're meant to be like a hard hitting political satire of a podcast. Us talking about random films from God only knows what point of history. 
no politics. I'm looking at a certain guest here who's a student of this subject. <laughs> not in this, not in this episode. But yeah, <laughs> over to then who will be joining us uh, this week. First up, it is our good friend. It is nerd and historian Di Hill. Hello, Di. Hello there. Good to see you again. How Hello. are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Um, enjoyed watching Thunderbirds are go, <laughs> and I'm looking forward to. I'd, I say enjoyed. <laughs> I sat through it at least. <laughs> Seems to be quite the theme with some of the films that you have to go through for this podcast of, as of late. Because when I was watching it, I was thinking, oh, well, that hasn't had it too rough. But then you also just watched a random Godzilla film, <laughs> which is also kind of a, a throwback in some ways. Yeah, we did random Godzilla. We did a random um, Hitchcock movie recently. Ah, yes. Uh, yeah. It came out of the blue. It's been a real, it's been a real roller coaster. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is also what led Craig to need to break to the Aaron Brockovich <laughs> choice. So, yeah, cool. Right, so also joining us uh, this week is another previous guest who was on with Di before, talking about Boxing Day, so Christmas films. It is media and politics student Liv McIndoe. Hello, Liv. Hello, hello, hey. hello. Uh, I'm here this time specifically to beat Dai in the endgame and get my revenge um, because I believe I did lose last time. However, having barely any knowledge about Thunderbirds, I really hope the coin flips to chaotic with this. Who, who even says this This episode is about Thunderbirds? We haven't technically yeah. revealed that yet. No, don't worry. Dai already did it ages ago. <laughs> And also, have you beaten him on a Craig's Endgames? And this, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that that, you know, it's going to be themed around the film. This is true. The competition's already there, though. And it's not just about, you know, like losing to die, but let's not forget the glorious uh, animal-themed Endgame special, which you were on, Liv, which gave me one of my favourite Endgame answers ever, which was to the question, uh, complete the sentence, it's raining, and you said men, (laughs) in an animal-themed quiz let's be clear craig has mocked me for that within the last fortnight <laughs> if this is true i'm glad he refreshed your memory so you knew exactly what i was talking about oh it's it's the quick fire pressure it's too much pressure i can't i can't do that it's like when someone asked me what my favorite film is and i just sit there for 10 minutes going i've seen films there's too much pressure very true so yeah you you guys have definitely been through the chaos of uh well, good movies many times before, so I think uh, you're well set for today's episode, which, yes, we'll definitely be going down some bizarre routes. So, in the last episode, after we discussed Battle Royale, David faced Eamon in our endgame called Death Count, and uh, I think you lost pretty badly, didn't you, David? Yeah, it's kind of a theme, isn't it? <laughs> I think the score was something like 8-1. Um, so in the end, the decision of what film to discuss for this week's episode came down to Eamon. Uh, as already alluded to, he liked the suggestion of my film wanting to get away from killing people, but actually rescuing them. And also the theme of children running around on an island uh, as we indeed go into the world of Thunderbirds. In the year 2010, billionaire and former astronaut Jeff Tracy took his five sons to an uncharted tropical island where they built the secret headquarters of International Rescue, an organization dedicated to helping those in need whenever disaster strikes. They have come to be known by the name they gave their incredible machines, 
Thunderbirds. Al in my office, now. You're so busted. In a family of heroes. Saving lives is a dangerous business. Alan Tracy was always being left out. Don't you have homework to do or something? Until... Fire. Mayday! Mayday! Dad. He was the last one left. Who will rescue the rescuers? I can do this. You know I can. This is a kid. He's a Tracy. Yep, so today we'll be talking all about Thunderbirds from 2004 and asking the question of whether it deserves the honour of a place in our movie vault, our vault that encapsulates memorable movies for all time. So for those who don't know, this film is from 2004. It is directed by Jonathan Frakes. Uh, The writers include, and this is credited, but probably as will come up later, not very linked to the actual film itself, but Jerry Anderson is credited for the original series, as well as Sylvia Anderson. You got P- Peter Hewitt on story, William Osborne on story and screenplay, with Michael McCullers as the screenplay credited writer. And then looking at the rest of the crew, uh, you've also got the editor for this film, which is Martin Walsh. Uh, on his IMDb, he's holding an Oscar, I assume not for this film. And uh, you've also got the composers, which, crazy to say, is Hans Zimmer and uh, also Ramin Jawadi, who uh, is known for Game of Thrones fame and I guess probably was a collaborator here with Zimmer, as he often collaborates with other composers. So the cast for this film as well, you got quite, you know, a, a sort of half and half of well-known names and sort of newbies. So playing Alan Tracy, you've got Brad uh, Brady Corbett. Uh, then you've got Soren Fulton as Fermat. And then you've also got Philip Winchester, Scott Tracy. Uh, then more well-known name with Bill Paxton, who plays Jeff Tracy. You've got Sophia Miles as Lady Penelope. Ron Cook as Parker, along with Ben Kingsley as The Hood, Anthony Edwards as Brains, uh, Baskir Patel as Kairano, Vanessa Hudgens as Tintin, a sort of early role for her, uh, along with uh, more of the Thunderbirds, you've got Lex Shrapnel as John Tracy, which sounds kind of like a villain name itself. you got Rose Keegan as Transom, one of the henchmen, and uh, yeah, then you've just got a bunch of the other sort of Thunderbirds and extras uh, in this film, which is a kind of mixture of Brits and Americans, uh, as will be a theme in this film. So a very interesting choice from Craig and a very interesting film, which I kind of think of in that era of both kind of family friendly movies, but at the time that they were also remaking a lot of television shows, kind of trying to invest in that sort of nostalgia, um, but in a very different way to the way that they do with sort of current projects in terms of remakes, uh, quite similar to things like Flintstones, Inspector Gadget, etc., so, Craig, in terms of you choosing this film, uh, what was your previous experiences with it and kind of with the TV show, I guess? So the TV show and the general franchise, I'm I'm a massive fan of. So as a, as a kid, I had uh, a lot of the toys. I had the sort of infamous Tracy Island set. Uh, I, I was a hedonist and I opened it and I played with it a lot because I'm a child and not an actual psychopath who cares about money. Um... I also had a lot of like the bigger range toys. So I had like, uh, I had like the Thunderbirds one to three sort of massive sized. Oh, and also by extension Thunderbird four, cause that always came in the Thunderbird two. Um, the TV show, I watched like the box sets a lot. Um, 
only in like later life did I realize that there was like no sort of TV finale. I kept watching the episode being like, wait, what's what's the finale? What's the wrap up of the show? And then came to find out the no Jerry Anderson show ever finished with a finale. They would always finish with a clip show. So I was like, oh, so there's just no end to the. OK, I guess we're there. Loved all of that. How many times did I watch this film as a kid? Once. Just the once. Uh, yeah, I think that should be a precursor to what me as a massive Thunderbirds fan would think. Uh, also, I've revisited the show in like later life. I've seen a little bit of the, the CGI remake and it falls into my same opinion of all CGI remakes of beloved uh, TV shows from my childhood, which is don't do that. Please. Don't touch it. Well, interesting to note as well that obviously the original show, so that ran from 1965 to 1966, as you said, is from Jerry Anderson. They also did have like sort of theatrical movies. Uh, They had Thunderbirds Are Go, which came out in 1966. And you also had Thunderbirds 6, which came out in 1968. Uh, So Jerry Anderson also involved in those. If anybody doesn't know as well, he's sort of like a big name within Britain as well as maybe overseas, uh, very known for those sort of puppet-based shows, uh, including Captain Scarlet, uh, Joe 90. Any other ones that sort of jump to your mind? What's the... Stingray. 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 (laughs) Uh, And also Space Precinct, was it? I think he was involved with, which isn't a puppet show. But um, years later, when I used to watch that as a kid, and I was like, oh, whoa, Jerry Anson was involved in that. But it makes sense because there's a lot of like puppetry and alien masks and all different yeah, things like I, that. I believe the term is uh, hyper animation, I believe they go for. Yeah. So, yeah, he's a big name within sort of like television. He's got a big legacy. And as you mentioned, Craig, uh, the toys are a big thing as well. So, yeah, it was and it was interesting that you chose this film because, again, I had considered choosing it in the past as well. Um, I recently saw the car from this film when I went to the British Motor Museum. And I did watch this film a lot more than once, actually, when I was younger, but more of a kind of like, you know, put on in the background. I just had the DVD. It has a great song in it as well, which I'm sure we'll mention later. Uh, but, yeah, I also sort of grew up with the Thunderbirds TV show to an extent, maybe not as much as yourself. But um, I'll put it out to our guests. Di, you mentioned beforehand that you sort of grew up with this show. Were you a Jerry Anderson head as well, or was it just Thunderbirds? Yeah, I grew up watching all of them shows. Um, that as Well, the whole list that Craig did, I loved them. Um, although I kind of realised as a small child that, that basically, A, they're just adverts for toys. So similar to like He-Man and like the Transformers and stuff, it's like the UK version of that, where they came up with this amazing toy brand and were like, you let's put a TV show along with it. Um, but yeah, with all of those shows, the best thing is the opening credits, where they just go, um, Stingray has the best opening any ever, where he just goes, stand by for action, and then everything explodes. Um, and the opening to Thunderbirds, when they do the 54321, Thunderbirds are go, that's the most exciting thing you will ever see as a child um not to then, mention the the scenes of the upcoming episode to yeah. the like really really dramatic music yeah they're like this is what's gonna happen ah! and then and then like the actual episode is really slow and dull um which is kind of amazing um but they were a phenomenon and it's weird how so much of us have grown up watching those shows and they just there's something about a big old bloody rocket ship having adventures that um that is really exciting as a small child. And then you can get the toy and send out on adventures as well. So also had the full like Thunderbirds toys. 
Um, and yeah, so I was interested to see this. Then, you know, not the same as the show. No, well, we'll definitely get onto that comparison to the the show and the film is definitely a conversation and whether the sort of oddities or the negatives of the show as well, whether that impacts the film almost. I guess in a way it reminds me of some of the conversations we've had, Di, about Star Trek. Like when we watched that sort of original film, like there's that whole like spin around the the original ship and you get to look at it and there's this big long thing in which you just see the model. And it's kind of a similar thing with Thunderbirds and people are just like, I just love seeing the trees come down and the ship slowly come out and, you know, the ship coming out of the pool and all that kind of stuff, which I think is a big part of the appeal and you can see it in influence in pop culture. Like even adverts and stuff have like used the Thunderbirds and I think there was an advert for something a few years ago in which Thunderbird one came out of the swimming pool and it was all remade etc they they have sort of had a big influence yeah and it's quite unique as well that but is that just really the kind of fetishization of these big rockets you know every episode they have the same opening sequence where they kind of go through a series of bloody tubes and whistles in order to get in it and then it takes half the episode is just them launching but it's brilliant and as a kid you love it because um, it's building up the excitement and the adventure and the, your imagination, um, even if the actual adventures are just puppets kind of waggling about. But yeah, they're very, you know, unique. I mean, it reminds me of an anecdote of um, uh, when I was watching, uh, I think I was watching an episode of Thunderbirds with my father and grandfather. Uh, there was like an explosion on a boat and I just go, okay, those guys are dead wait, how do you know? I was like, well, they've just put the puppets down. They're no longer moving. Mm. And they were just like, Jesus, Craig. <laughs> when you look at, you know, other forms of storytelling, like animation, etc., you can tell maybe like, oh, maybe they've done it this way because of that or whether it, again, it's kids films or low budget. But puppetry is something really specific, especially this type, because it's not like mm. the Muppets or Dark Crystal or anything, which people underneath it. It's the fact it's the whole strings above them and stuff like that. And so, like you said, often you have that kind of like awkward them like laid down with the the plastic hands. And then the thing I always loved was the real hands, like yeah. flipping the switches and buttoning that. up shirts and stuff like that. It just was hilarious. <laughs> that was sort of a formative moment as a child when you suddenly see like there's a real hand there. How have you done <laughs> yeah. this? It was um, mind-blowing. Liv, you said for you, uh, the big influence was the toys, uh, not so much the TV show. So, yeah, how, how did uh, Thunderbirds influence your childhood? Yeah, so I know for a fact that I grew up with the island, and I know for a fact that I grew up with quite a few of the toys as well, like the action figures, the Thunderbirds themselves. Um, and, like, I remember breaking a few of them. I remember fixing a few of them. And I remember many of them lining the windows of the house. However, I only remember remembering the show. I don't remember watching it. I know the generation above me and my family all watched it, and I'm pretty sure my siblings did, but I don't remember actually seeing it on screen. I just remember remembering seeing it, which is insane. Like, I've sat here thinking about it before this episode, thinking, can I actually remember an episode? And I genuinely cannot, even though I know I've watched it. And it's just really weird to think about. But then at the same time, maybe the reason I remember remember watching it is because of how influential it's been on culture generally. Like, I very visibly remember the advert you referred to. And maybe because of that, I remember having watched this, if that makes sense. But yeah, it's an interesting one because there's a lot of shows I've seen that I probably would have forgotten that I've seen 
but I haven't forgotten that I've seen Thunderbirds, which is strange. It's just kept in the cultural memory, I suppose. Well, that's what I think is interesting about it and what Liv was sort of talking about a bit there as well is that its legacy as well as being like in popular culture like recently it's also it had this big impact on like children during the sort of 90s and early noughties because the toys I think like it was one of the biggest Christmas gifts of said you whether it's 96 97 something like that the Tracy Island why they decided to release it then I don't know because it's like a 60s show but I think Obviously, they, you know, periodically have sort of like released, you know, more merchandise and stuff for it. So I think that would make sense. But I just remember it being on like BBC Two in like the evenings when you'd get like things like Fresh It, Prince of Bel-Air and The Simpsons and stuff. And that was one of those shows. And I remember my friend watching it because him and his dad were all into like kind of models and like were very techy kind of people. So it kind of spoke to that sensibility of them, I guess. And then I remember it going from there to like Boomerang, which was like a Cartoon Network channel, which had like all old school cartoons. And even there, I was kind of like, this still seems weird to have on like a cartoon channel because it's so different to everything else on here, which is like Tom and Jerry and Looney Tunes, etc. One minute you're watching Daffy Duck, like crazy voices and spinning around the next minute. Like you said, you're watching like, a burning building and like a child like you know needs rescuing and like they're slowly like lifting something to rescue him and they're slowly switching all the gears and pressing all the buttons but I think it was that element of like everybody wanted Thunderbirds because the toy was so popular so different channels were trying to get their hands on it and then I remember it being actually on Disney Channel as well and I even vividly remember that there was some kind of like launch day in which the show and maybe the films or something first went on disney channel and like this morning was presented by brains and they had like a sort of mock-up of the old set and like a brains puppet and he was like saying like in between the episodes he was like oh i hope you enjoyed that blah 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 blah. so all of that is like really cemented in my brain it's just such a kind of like visceral show and an experience and yeah it just carried on going i suppose like you've mentioned craig about like cgi remakes with the new one but even Jerry Anderson was involved, I think, in the CG remake of Captain Scarlet. Yeah, and that's why I didn't hate that one that much. And I think I've seen that the new one, so is that Thunderbirds Go is the new one? Yeah, they Thunderbirds. They have used some models there, I think, in terms of like some of the sets or maybe some of the, the ships. But yeah, ultimately you look at that show and go, oh, it's a CGI show. I mean, the problem is just, and even with this film, I think that they, they sort of ruin the designs of the of the vehicles. Way too complicated. I mean, I'm going to alleviate everyone here and just say this is not a good film. <laughs> this is just not a good film. So my biggest issue with this is that and I realize this is going to be odd that this is the thing that I don't like this film for, as opposed to all of the other legitimate reasons to not like this film. It's just not lore accurate. And it I really irritates me just because it's the sort of film that like, oh, yeah, we're going to pay homage to Thunderbirds by making Alan Tracy, of all people, the main character and sidelining all of his brothers to the point of I can't tell them apart. They make those brothers so unrecognizable from each other. I'm just like, which which one's Scott? Because Scott is the one that everyone liked. Virgil was the one that I got on with. Why can I not tell them apart? One of them has inexplicably white hair. Yeah, that's John, and he's up in the space station. Yeah, they were like, you've gone grey, get off this planet. It just loses a lot of the sort of recognisability of of me uh, for of it for me, which just means it's not that appealing to me. The fact that the main trio is Alan Tracy, Tintin, who is basically just like 
Alan's love interest in the show, but like really no personality. Granted, they try and do something with her here, but it's just no point. And a character who doesn't exist in the original, he's just Brains' his son. It's just like, wait, Brains got down? Like, when? Where? What? I mean, on the one hand, you keep talking about the recognizability of like Thunderbirds generally, but there is one element of this that they make really, like, really <laughs> prominent in terms of recognizability. I bet if you watch this in 500 years, you'd be able to cite that it came out in the early noughties. It is incredibly recognizable as a generic noughties film. Oh yeah, definitely is that. But just some odd choices. I mean, like the the henchmen, just one of them really hitting on brains in really uncomfortable ways. And they, they had to pick an act. I, I don't know if it's like the actress genuinely has teeth like that. Or if they made the conscious effort to give her teeth like that. I I don't know, but just they had to make someone look as so stereotypically femalely nerdy as possible. And it's like, why, guys? And then obviously the like those choices sort of leak out into the plot. I mean, what kind of international re- Oh yeah, the fact that they call themselves the Thunderbirds and not International Rescue is also a major pet peeve because in the intro it means they contradict themselves. They're an organization called International Rescue. They call themselves the Thunderbirds. No, they don't. They call themselves International Rescue. They call the the things they fly the Thunderbirds. Why would they call themselves that? But then when you're rescuing a law la- uh, like launching a rescue mission into space, why would you take the only five functional members of your institution all off planet when you know there's like a monsoon hitting other parts of the world and it's like a fire breaking out in a random part? Why would you take everyone and also just leave your island defenseless? What is wrong with you, Jeff Tracy? It's for the banter. I think also when you look at what Liv said there as well about like, you know, it's so of that time. And again, I suppose of that time, less so than now, they they were even more like, right, this is like a kind of industry product, get it out there, you know, generic writer, director, etc., which was on the project. And as I mentioned before, you had loads of kind of weird projects like this before you had things like flintstones inspector gadget in terms of things that were adapted from old television shows you also had animated versions of those type of films in terms of also classic characters like smurfs yogi but even those films identified who the main characters of their shows were and tried to build plots around them not this weird child-centric yeah this will appeal to the kids making them think that they are the ones fighting off like what what are meant to be reputable bad guys, uh, but yet you're able to fight them off with three kids, like an aristocratic lady and her butler. But also just other films are out at that time. And the director, because again, I was like, right, okay, who were you bringing in for this? Because I thought, you know, this must be just a kind of paycheck gig, you know, just get them to do this kind of fun family film. And when I looked at it, I was like, oh, okay, there is more of a link here than I thought as well, especially with one of our guests. But um. First of all, I'll say some of the projects they did around this time, which again might give Liv those kind of like early noughties vibes, bit of flashbacks. Uh, one of the other projects, he was involved in a lot of television, has directed a lot of things like the newer Twilight Zone uh, series, uh, things like Roswell. Um, but he also did the film Clock Stoppers, <laughs> which I think was a kind of like 
Nickelodeon film, maybe something like that. But when you look at other films that are similar of that time, again, you're like, yep, you know, early noughties, Kangaroo Jack, Cody Banks, uh, you know, Stuart Little. As in, these are the films that he did or films like that? No, these are just like... I was going to say, if it turns out he did Kangaroo Jack, I'm just like... Dude, he's unredeemable, but no. No, I loved Kangaroo Jack. Shut up. (laughs) Well, in terms of critical reception, anyway. Phenomenal film. I had that (laughs) on DVD, too. Yeah, that was another one I had I had as well. Um, Catch That Kid as well. I don't know if you remember that. That's another similar Agent Cody Banks. Kids like, you know, being like, oh, we're secret agents. So I think it speaks to that sensibility of like, what do kids like right now? High-tech gadgets and kids getting into trouble. And this seems what they went wanted to go down no, with no, this that's film. No, no, that's what they thought kids well, wanted. Yes. Kids, <laughs> kids did not want that at all. They might want it to be like a secret agent. They they want to see the people that they like and they definitely did not resonate with, wait, why are we following these random? kids why are the cool guys gone why have you blown them up with a missile but weirdly yeah this is jonathan frakes and as in i was like oh wait and it is it's the guy die who plays yeah it's commander Riker in star trek i immediately decided i love this movie as soon as i saw his (laughs) name pop up (laughs) so yeah he's been in a lot of star trek television he's directed a lot of uh similar programs and star trek he's done like the gifted agents of shield uh the orville which is you know is a parody of star trek in a way and i believe he directed one of the movies well star trek insurrection is that and then yeah and also star trek first contact so yeah quite quite a varied degree but again nothing in there that's sort of apart from star trek screams to me this guy needs to direct thunderbirds i think what from what i remember again of the dvd and like seeing even maybe like the commentary maybe when i put it on when i was kind of like i'll listen to all the commentaries of the films i've got it didn't strike me as like i grew up with this film i have a really strong bond to it i love these characters it just seemed like yeah you know kids love it the toys are popular so i did it for that reason it doesn't seem to be any sort of like love or affection for the original oh we'll get it don't worry which i think is evident in the film but yeah, to me, it, it's very clear that they're trying to appeal to that kind of younger generation and being like, Alan is the key character. He's still in school. He's dreaming of doing this. You know, this is what he wants to do. And- He's casually revealing his identity as a member of a secret organization yeah. to his entire class by making drawings. Ben Kingsley is like the villain, which again, we've seen like a bunch of times in terms of like similar roles and, you know, like he's kind of redeemed himself in some ways. But yeah, at that time he was doing a lot of those sort of like typical villain roles. And yeah, as we said, it's just similar to a lot of sort of adaptations that we've seen at that time. I do think, though, the funniest part of um, them blatantly trying to appeal to the masses is that I found a review where Frakes said that he thinks the reason that it was a flop is because it had competition from Shrek 2. And I'm sure that would make an impact. But also, is it not literally any of the other choices you made? <laughs> or any other film that was out at that time, I guess, as well. So, yeah, and, and it's never, you know, a good foot in that, you know, he is more linked to the film than, you know, the original creator, etc., which I'm sure we'll get on to. Um, but yeah, Di, Di, what was your first initial reaction after after watching this and have, after avoiding it for so long? I mean, you can see what they're trying to do. They were trying to kind of... It nearly has fun bits in it. Like, early on, I was actually secretly quite enjoying it. Because I think, you know, Lady Penelope's quite fun. There's a few really stupid camp bits that they managed to kind of lean into. Um, 
but they just don't get quite far enough. Like a bit early on, I quite liked is where sort of Lady Penelope says like, Shh, don't do, be quiet. You do realize I'm a secret agent. And then the camera turns around, she's got this giant pink flying car and things like that. You know, that's hinting at what could have been fun about the movie is that uber campness, you know, and really leaning into the fact that the show itself was like the source material is bizarre, frankly, you know, and it's a strange thing to try and adapt. So, yeah, you've got to kind of take some sort of a direction. So, yeah, I, I think the idea of going uber camp with it was good, but then everything else about it is just mediocre and bland. Mostly the cast, as you said, those young kids are awful and none of them have character and they're awful. Um, the plot doesn't really exist. Um, and the big thing as well is that they just don't... I say, adapting Thunderbird, what we've said about the original show is... What was appealing about it was the ships and was this fetishization of these giant bloody spaceships and you know the fact that they take 10 minutes to just to get into it um but they barely feature in in the movie you know the, the bit that really should the bit that annoyed me the most and i was constantly shouting and i kind of half rewrote the movie based on this was that in the tv show they have the whole like tube system where they get into the ships so they kind of do the beginning of it where they have their own little booths that they all stand in and then they kind of go down in a shaft. But then they just kind of cut to them on the ship, on the Thunderbird. And whereas in the show, there was like a five-minute sequence. And it's so stupid, like these little puppets being put down these like pulley systems and stuff. It was the silliest thing. Um, and it would have looked silly, but it would kind of been hilarious if they took that really seriously and actually put like those actors in some weird like Wallace and Gromit style tubes. It would have been bizarre, but I think you know, genuinely funny. Um, and it gives you something to play with as well. And it gives you something to kind of, what I really felt, and I wonder if it got written out of the movie. Um, so when they first go into the, the the adult gang, go into the Thunderbirds, and they don't do the bloody tubes. And then about five minutes later, the kids have got to like get back into the Tracy Island house. And they go, how will we get back in again? And, and he goes, we'll use the air ducts which you feel like probably some writer originally said, we'll use the bloody weird tubes. Like that would have made sense. If you've seen all of the gang going down these tubes and then we see the kids having to like climb up the tubes, you can have a lot of, you know, actual creative movie making with that. But obviously that got cut because it would have been too silly looking and they kind of just, you know, didn't bother. Um, so yeah, I think they just kind of cut short on that real writing the Thunderbirds themselves into the plot. You know, one thing that they didn't do was have like any kind of a chase or adventure in the Thunderbirds. You know, when it comes to him actually finally piloting Thunderbird 1, he just uses it to get to London really quickly. Like you could have just done like a, an animation of him like on an aeroplane or something, you know, that it was absolutely unnecessary. It's just a quick, quick transit system. They could have just made like Star Trek transport or something to a beam into London for all the good yeah. it actually did to have a Thunderbird. The most they ever use is just the piloting of Thunderbird 4 to rescue that cable car yeah that's about it yeah and, and then it's, it's just like now we're gonna go and catch the mole which is stationary yeah and they just don't they just you know they should have, at the very least have been a bloody thunderbird chase you know they should have had to like pilot thunderbird one under like under tower bridge there was like a reference in the movie actually where the guys in tower bridge seem to be like trying to wind it up quick or something um and then they didn't really see it but yeah they needed to do fun things with flying a giant rocket through places or like bumping and it should have bumped into something as well like it's a big rocket it should be used to like poke things with its nose that's what i always wanted to do with thunderbird one is poke things with the nose 
that that's the tricky I, you know i can understand the tricky position they're in and like you guys have said is that it goes very zany and very cartoony which i think a lot of projects did at that time and i think even if it was made now there would be an element of kind of more seriousness taken towards it and i think when i saw the barbie trailer the other day for example i was kind of like oh this is really refreshing which again not sure if you could say it's made for kids considering some of the jokes and i don't think the creative team have said it's necessarily a kids movie because they're kind of playing on that nostalgia of barbie from the people who grew up with barbie in the 90s etc but even there i was watching it thinking like it's refreshing that they're just kind of embracing what that brand is and what it represents and not having to have the typical like how do we make barbie cool how do we make this gritty how do we change them similar even possibly with like the super mario bros film that's coming out at the moment as well it's just it is the video game there's no element of like how do we make this like more realistic because sometimes it just can't be done but what i find interesting with this one is that even though yet i think you're right die that it is a very zany crazy idea you know you look at many aspects of the original show like you said you know the uniforms that they wear like i remember always thinking like if you look at the picture of all of them lined up like alan's in like a pink sash you're just like okay that was quite bold for you know like a young man in the 60s and then they hardly ever show it <laughs> but then they've got the funny little hats and everything and throughout this film i i think maybe we should make this a thing for the rest of the episode is just randomly start saying fab for some reason because at the end of the film they really go in on just fab fab i'm like I can't blame them because the the series itself never really explained it. I searched on Google. Oh yeah, what does FAB it, mean? it's never established what it stands no. for. No, and Jerry Anderson was kind of like, "It sounds like Fab," which is funny, and you're just like, "Okay," but again, I guess that's more to the sensibilities of the original show, kind of being this weird mishmash of different things. And I and when you look at Captain Scarlet, especially the fact that that was adapted into another sort of more modern show that still went with the idea of like ooh creepy aliens taking over the bodies and even though it's got this dumb aspect which is captain scarlet captain white and lieutenant green and all that kind of element it's colonel white but i'll let that fly they're still approaching it with an element of seriousness to me you know thunderbirds even though i had those campy silly moments like you said die also it was kind of like a thriller espionage type story at times like when they are doing the rescues even though sometimes they could be very boring most of the time it was all very like you know cloak and dagger waiting for things to happen the hood takes somebody out lady penelope like i was searching lady penelope clips after this and i was just like she was a badass to be fair like there's a clip i saw of the original show in which people are chasing her with guns literally trying to gun her car down and she's like you've given me no other option in which she like launches the machine guns from her car and then kills them so i was just like this went much further than what the the film was willing to do in which she's like doing backflips and kung fu and all that kind of stuff but uh, yeah i think it's just disappointing that they didn't embrace that element considering the years later that kind of cool edgy approach to nostalgic properties was kind of the the trend the uniforms genuinely annoys me because that goes back into my issue with the brothers the fact you don't know who they are you could make them easily recognizable by giving them a uniform what do they give them really generic space suits with maybe an outline of the yeah. color but half the times because the shots you know because they're in space on a dying spaceship 
you can't even see the colors properly. And you know who's to blame for that is X-Men with those, you know, the generic kind of leather suits at that time. Yeah, I mean, the more I see videos like looking at costume design for films, the more I actually hate the first X-Men film. (laughs) But I think that you can tell that they weren't as interested in this story. And yeah, like the uniforms thing is a a big indicator as to, to what they kind of like wanted to go for. And the fact that the brothers... I don't think you even ever get a scene which introduces, like, because I was like, which one is Virgil? Which one is Scott? They never really even have a scene that says, this is Scott, yeah, this I, is Virgil. I, I'm well aware. They I've just told have you scenes this. in which they're like, Gordon, come and help this. And I'm like, which one's Gordon? So that is really like shoddy, I think, in, in the, the way that they approach the script and the story. You know, I'll admit that I've got more nostalgia for this, so I'm willing to let a lot of things slide. I can watch it kind of like a lot of films of that era in which you're like, even at the time, I knew it wasn't a good adaptation, but it's from my childhood, so I kind of have good memories for it. I'm willing to let it pass. But also like Craig, I cannot admit it's a good film. Liv, what what, what was your kind of initial thoughts, uh, having no idea it even existed? I mean, when I looked at the poster for the film, I realized instantly that it was going to be terrible. So I decided then and there that I would come in and I would make up a way to like give it credit for being this amazing Marxist critique of society and give you some like pseudo film criticism of it. But 10 minutes in, I gave up on that and I just made a list of problematic tropes and really bad quotes. <laughs> People have tried to do this before in which Craig has offered really bad films or yeah associates of craig and then they've tried to go in with the like i'm gonna pretend that i liked it or i'm gonna take it seriously which has had varying success to be fair this is a man who's become incredibly wealthy and he's decided how is he gonna spend his wealth he's gonna use it to save people in really impractical ways and in really like one-off interventionist ways doesn't try to do anything to like you know establish any of the underlying reasons why say i don't know oil platforms catching on fire because you know they have to mine for oil because renewable energy isn't a thing um or anything like that no it's just like i'm gonna fix it as it comes up yeah which is vanity like it is just vanity do you think though because again the failings of the tv show maybe led to some of the failings of the film no again, I, I disagree no but what i'm about to say is that the fil- the tv show never made that apparent or may- never made you think of it so the fact that there isn't a backstory as to why they really started the operation there isn't like an explanation as to where the mother is but the tv show never sort of made it about that yeah and it's never film- about it's never meant to be about that it's been, mm. i mean what also doesn't help is the fact that Part of the original, this isn't in uh, VHS Corner, I'll bring it up now. One of the things they wanted for this film was, oh, maybe this could be like the origin of the team. Mm. Except it's not, because half of them are already fully functioning. It's an origin for how Alan becomes a bloody member. And who gives a damn? He's relegated to space work, which is like the most infrequent work that they have. How many times do they have like an issue in space that only they can solve? I think like three times, maybe. Thing is, half the time it's literally just, I'm going to use a spaceship to essentially do a rotation of the guy who's in the space station reporting on all the bad things. Yeah, it's a taxi service. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, we it's need intergalactic taxi Uber. They just felt that confident, though, it was a meteor strike, though. That's why they were like, we've always, you know, had this rocket ready in case a meteor hits 
Thunderbird 5. And I just love the, like, I would love to see the actual realization of, like, wait, we got, like, bombed? <laughs> like, just like, oh, we never thought of that. <laughs> like, somebody attacked us? I will give it to the filmmakers and the villain that they just outright, let's just bomb it. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, one of my favorite episodes of the TV show, before we actually get back to Liv's, like, yeah. tropes and critiques is there's literally an episode where they're coming back from a, a job and the u.s navy spots them and go oh that's an unidentified <laughs> aircraft i'm gonna shoot it down yeah. and they just start firing rockets at it at which point jeff's going like i'm just gonna have to get in contact with congress and they're just like dude stop you're attacking international rescue they're like shit <laughs> detonate the rockets and it's like congrats they they're literal helicarrier you've taken out of business and the u.s navy are like what have we done? There's so many good stories to mine here, isn't there? And literally, what they end up having to do is because they need Thunderbird 4 for a rescue. And they're like, but Thunderbird 2's out of commission. It's like, the US Navy have to give them a lift. They're like, yeah. sorry about that entire I was going to kill your brother thing. Yeah, so I don't know. I feel like... I don't know how many of these are things from the TV show, but I think the first one that instantly hit me was the villains, right? You have a guy who follows Eastern spirituality, you have the only black man in the show, and you have a woman with big teeth and big nose. So that's the first one, which is dodgy casting there. One of the three is from the TV show. Is it the first one? The hood, yeah. Uh, he has no henchmen. He works on his own. He he lives in like a massive Aztec palace. He has these mind powers and all he cares about is getting the secret of international rescue so he can sell it. Oh. He literally just cares about international espionage to make a quick buck. He should go into a different industry. News. He'd make more from news. This is fair. I also noticed though, obviously all the heroes are white. They are in the show. But then... And they're one family, to be fair. Liz. Yeah, the, the one family, for the first half of the film, I thought they were servants because the only thing they did <laughs> was, like, there was one guy gardening and the woman doing domestic chores. So for the first half of the film, I just thought they'd cast minorities as servants, um, which was a well, They basically did, yeah. That's all they yeah. had. Yeah. Um because even parker says like oh that's his loyal manservant i was like what is this an actual title his loyal manservant and the one thing i well i say the one thing but the thing that does irk me about that entire part of the film is one is that tintin's mum because we never get any lines from her so i think it's one like really disrespectful because again some people will be like oh well it was the early noughties there was plenty of films that were at least trying to give some form of female representation to have no female role models at least either like yes is the ghost of the mum but again we don't even get a picture i don't think maybe ghost one. of the mum uh, yeah like you know disney trope of being like you know her like influence hangs over them but again they don't really focus on it that much but it's ironic because the original because the actual tv show has a great female role model that's just been replaced by this woman who has no lines yeah, like the, the grandmother's in the original and she's a great character but even brains then as you said has got a son which suggests that he had a wife or someone that he got together with but then they don't even use that as an opportunity to give another female character they were like it's Nope. The same, it's the same mum. Oh. <laughs> he had, they had an affair, yeah. Right. That's why, that's the why the Tracy's left her on the mountain because he found out about the affair and was like, well, I'm not bloody rescuing you with them. That would have been... That would have been an interesting plot twist. But I, I think that sort of ethnicity representation factor is problematic, definitely, and is a not, 
not good trope that they did around that time, especially because one, like I said, the role that they play within the household and they could have changed that up. They could have evolved it. And but then not to even give them that many lines. Also to have him just be like, oh, he's his brother. And he's like, oh, I didn't know he was alive. Sorry. And then just no drama, no like ramifications from it. And then to have Ben Kingsley, which has been brought up several times, who like he has like, I think, Indian heritage, yeah. but often plays these characters in which like he's not of that ethnicity. Here especially, I think you can see like the sort of fake tan that's almost on him. They put the sort of like black lines around his eyes, etc. And I'm like, this, you know, again, if you can get away with maybe playing Gandhi to an extent, which some people have a lot of problems with. But here again, if it's meant to be then more of a sort of Chinese sort of character, it's like, you know, which Asian stereotype are you playing? I do have another question based on stereotypes, actually. In the original, do the nerds all have stutters? Well, there's only the one show. there's only one nerd, but yes, yes, he does. Okay, good. But because... it's not to the it's not to the same extent. Mm. It's uh it's not to the extent of like, you know, he's gonna go go away or whatever whatever that line was. Yeah, because I got very much a vibe from this movie that they're doing the if you have a stutter, you are physically weak and a weak person stereotype, uh, which was really dodgy again to watch, especially with zero context of, like, is this something that's coming from the 60s or is it something that they're just putting in now? In some ways, like I said, a lot of this is by their own making and their own creation because, again, they've done this whole thing with Alan, which also sets up a bad lesson, I think. I don't like that the film actually does this kind of lesson of, like, this kid really wants to do this and he's looking out and dreaming of the stars and you're like yeah that's a fair you know hero's journey but the problem here is this dad does have quite a reasonable expectation of like school is important and you should learn to like become a thunderbird and take on responsibility and he kind of learns that but by the end he just gets what, what he wants ultimately and he's kind of a dick along the way and yes while he apologizes to his friend ultimately he is still proven right that like yeah I was right I should have been on the team and you're like what you just dropped out of school it's just like I don't know it's, it's that problem that comes with then placing all the high schoolers and the cool like you know teenager which then like I said has a negative effect on the the friend which then means that oh he's only good for the tech the girl can only be like interested in if she's like magical um and yeah obviously the commentary they have with him sort of lusting over isn't isn't great either but yeah that oh no it's everyone it's everyone telling him that he should be lusting over her mm-hmm. and then eventually like all right i'm gonna start lusting over this girl then and, and that's what's unfortunate as even, she blooms blossoms even, oh yeah what the hell and even penelope who you would think again is quite a sort of that the only sort of better representation in the film which starts off in some ways well like Di said there's some fun moments with her but then it's also really disappointing that she's like immediately like Jeff I'll tell you what that is that's love that they've got right there yeah that's just like stupid so like why why does it have to be the female character that's like yeah I'm encouraging them to get together and then at the end it's it's like she turns up and like at the safe and she's like I've had this like dramatic costume change and you're like okay I'm not buying this now because one of it you know a second ago you were in this kind of like more situation appropriate costume in which it wasn't like a dress or anything but she's turned up to the bank with like a little bun and like a gun and then she just immediately becomes the damsel in distress and just easily gets taken out and i was like well you just lost all the agency of what was meant to be this cool kick-ass character who like got them out to the ice fridge and everything like that by just immediately getting beaten by the villains you forget the most important part of her getting beaten which is the quote 
my little finger will pull this big trigger. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. The trigger isn't particularly big. I didn't understand it. They were trying to sexualize it, and I don't understand how. <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't make sense what the writer was even thinking they were doing with that line. I also don't understand if she's known to have a gun, why she hasn't busted it out like much earlier at this point. She's up against like the, all these henchmen who are just like, who are physically like trained to fight or whatever. And it's only at this point she's like, you know what? I'm going to bust out my piece. Yeah. And the fact that she uses so many Britishisms throughout there, which again, not always makes sense. That the fact she's like, that was not cricket and et cetera. And yeah, but to be fair, the original kind of does that. Yeah, a lot. yeah, she she is very like you know the fact she's like oh uh, we'll arrange tea etc. I mean, I will say insofar as like a, a heritage perspective, I feel like Lady Penelope and Parker are actually done quite well. Yeah, I suppose it's probably more the sexualization which like brings up you know like I don't know how I feel about like their relationship. I was glad that he sort of restrained. He never had that kind of like ogling at her sort of aspect. Like in the bath, he was kind of like awkward about it. I never felt that he was like oh you know yeah. like. But again, it was the film that was doing that. She was like, oh, I'm here with these bubbles and yeah, I'm yeah. going to use my toe to switch the channel. And- I mean, that actually has an interesting ramification. Again, not in VHS order, <laughs> but that bubble bath was apparently very cheap, much like most of the film. <laughs> it actually gave that actress rashes afterwards to the point that she wrote in her contracts from every film she did since. No bubble bath scenes. Oh, wow. Liv, what else have you got on your, your list? <laughs> oh, one you'll like. Obviously... Everyone's found uh, who's seen the show has found like sheer astonishment at the fact that Jeff Tracy is in fact the main character of the movie. Oh, not Jeff Tracy. Alan Tracy is the main character of the movie. I find it absolutely hilarious that I could tell that there was something off with him being the main character from in the show when twice he said the words, I'm Jeff Tracy's son to establish his relevance. That was absolutely insane. Like for from the moment he said that i knew something was off i just didn't know what until i came into this podcast and you were like he he's irrelevant basically and there, there were all the throwaway questions and like the really tropey cliched things like asking what was mum like and the thunderbirds need you i need you and why why are these needed well the one that i i that i kind of stopped the film for was when he jeff tracy turns to him and does the line you can't save everyone, which is like a really serious concept. Yeah. And the idea that he's like, I sometimes I just leave people to die. Hey, you school child. Hey, kids. Sometimes you're just going to have to leave someone to die in a mine. But also it's completely relevant to the plot of the movie. Like if Alan then later on faces a situation where like two people are in danger and they're like, well, he only, can only choose one and he's got to like, you know, find a way to save everyone or something. That would maybe make sense. But it's it's so bleak and it comes so out of nowhere that his dad going, you can't, I let people die and you all will have to do too. It's also incredibly antithetical to why International Rescue was made in the first place. The entire reason he made this organization is because he couldn't save his wife. So to turn around and be like, well, you can't save everyone. It's like, well, why are you even trying to save anyone then? Yeah, and that's the interesting thing about the whole, like, the fact that you said that originally it might have been more of a prequel. So maybe some of that is coming in here. And I guess, again, the, 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 uh, what you get with the TV show is, again, you can more easily go in there with the kind of tropey, like, adventure of the week stuff and be like, this is the team, this is what's happening. But a film, it, you do have an expectation of a bit more story. And I think that's what have, would have helped all of this is if they said, why are they doing this? And even if the film, like you guys have said before, was more about rescuing, I think because it's so much about 
the fact that they turn up at the island, you're like, oh, okay, we're in now. Like, this is it. This is the storyline. There's not even that much rescuing going on. I remember when I was young, something I was disappointed with is the fact that, as you said earlier, Di, the way that they use the ships is disappointing. But especially the fact that, like, the, the scene in which we see Thunderbird 2 with the trees and everything is pi- is piloted by the villains. So we don't yeah. even get the hero using it in that situation. The same almost with the mole. You know, it's just... No, the, exactly oh, with the mole. Yeah. But then the fact that we don't even get, like, the only major rescue scene i would say is with thunderbird 4 and the monorail uh sequence that's the only time that you actually see apart from the opening but again that's such a kind of like intro to the thunderbirds and i really hate how again they're just like yep this has gone great dad yeah do this and it's just like this is so easy though even in the show i remember them having struggles and you know it's about like oh a fire has happened and like a building is collapsing or if they had more commentary like you said die of like you know sometimes you can't save everyone and the fact that in the original show, sometimes it was kind of like they've unveiled this big new airship and oh my god, like our greed and our like, you know, lack of innovation has led to it like being a disaster. You know, they were making a comment on something there. There was kind of a reason for what was happening and the Thunderbirds were kind of there to be like, right, well, this is what we're here for. But to be fair, this film, you don't get an idea of that. To be fair, in the original show, some of the accidents were just caused by sheer incompetence and as you said earlier it's the craziness with this film that i i thought straight away as well is the whole like let's just take all of the team and put them up in space and it just causes so many plot holes and questions in which you're like why was there no protection if they're so rich why was the island not more protected why did they not know about this tracking system on thunderbird one why send everyone up there why did they not have thunderbird five be more protected there's so much like characters and like moments in here which are just here purely for plot like Liv I'm not sure if you also had like just kind of weird moments like noted down as some of the tropes which I felt were kind of of the time just even like when he's like oh come on Fermat like and he's like but I'm not done with my burger and I was just like yeah why does he not get to finish his burger say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like so many times in the film where they just do weird gags like that and I'm like but why why is this funny like why is this a thing <laughs> what was it that that was said when they were climbing up the up the hill there was something about um him needing to do some more exercise or eat less burgers or something like that generally yeah. and I was just like it seemed like that burger scene was just there to set up that line if that's the yeah. weird thing is <laughs> and I find it kind of works for the film. I think the other element that kind of works, but is also a bit weird, is Ben Kingsley as the hood. Because he's obviously trying to do like a, a creative choice here, in which he's kind of like sometimes a bit disinterested in what's happening. Sometimes he's kind of like the the grand theatrical villain, while other people are trying to be more serious. But he just has so many weird moments in this, like when a fight is happening and he's just walking around looking at things. And then like when they get the trans, what's it called? The, the thing well, the, need for the flight guidance system. Yeah. So when he Where gets the hell that, did trans come from? Uh, a transmitter, I thought it was or something. So when he like looks at that chip and he's like really like analyzing it and stuff, I was like, you didn't even want that. It's like, it's not the part that you needed. Like she needed it. It's just so strange that he is then fascinated by it. Like as if it's some crystal ball or like a diamond or something but uh genuinely confused yeah but i will i did find him also kind of entertaining in like even when he introduced himself he's like you can call me um the hood and he's like looking around and i'm like i kind of respect that you haven't had this big theatrical announcement and you know it's a weird choice but i do find him kind of entertaining like when you first see him and he's kind of like you know, saying this thing about like using his enemy's strengths against them and like, oh, you know, this is Mount Olympus and, you know, like I will strike the gods and, you know, I, I'll turn everyone against them because 
they're like, oh, well, now now's our chance to like, you know, tear them down. He's like, so when he launches the missile at Thunderbird 5, the way he describes the motives behind that, I'm like, this this is all like decent stuff, I think, for a theatrical fun villain. I mean, yeah, I, I will. That's the one part of the film I will defend is Ben Kingsley. Mm. Like, it's odd, definitely. Right ethnicity. It, it depends. It's never really established exactly where... Mm where the uh, the hood is exactly well, from. This movie does establish it, though, because he's the brother of a guy from this some faraway country. Yeah, so but do they say what country it foreign, is? But it's not England. No, but... So, you know, Ben Kingsley is not really right for it. It seems yeah. like it's somewhere like Tibet or somewhere like that in which like this like accident has happened. It was also fun when, like you said, the action sequences at the end when he has the twist. I was thinking, oh, it's like a, a Darth Sidious twist, you know, with the when he like just wants to get onto that platform. I just can't believe they had the goal to destroy a wall's ice cream cart. <laughs> yeah, and how many people were like, no, like, they were so devastated by that. I, I mean, that. I was devastated by that. With the fact that he's like fire up Thunderbird one and like use the shoots and the fire to like burn them to a crisp and then he's like laughing about that which thankfully brains is like very pissed by what happens yeah but then it makes me laugh that they're like oh the guidance system is gone so then the hood's reaction is immediately well the children must be alive and they must have it i was like oh they stole it before you burnt them to a crisp and now the transmitter is also burnt to a crisp i, d- I didn't understand why they thought oh well this must indicate the children are alive i did really like the trying to murder the children part because later on when parker turns up he goes you trespassed on this island that's a very serious crime and he like he's also tried to murder three children that's a way more serious crime parker Do i mean not- they've also they've also committed terrorism by like bombing an international like a well-respected ngo where he's like no don't go trespassing or you'll be very in a lot of trouble any other tropes or or parts of the film that you noted down live I mean, there is one thing, which was the the like inclusion of the green slime, and the most inclusion in the plot it got was the like someone saying maybe it was a tracking thing. There was so much like of the first half an hour like focused in on this green slime, and then the most we got was maybe it's a tracking device, and then nothing. But why? Why do that then? Well, the same applies to the whole kind of thing of when Alan like sneaks on and they think he might have like given away the coordinates of the island, sort of thing, and it starts like you could have given a secret away. And then he's like, Oh no, maybe it was me. Maybe I gave away the island and compromised us. And then they're like, Nah, it's probably that goo. Yeah, oh, I'll plot them. I didn't do anything bad. I'm not a bad person. I have no such things to solve. I'm just fine. I didn't do anything wrong. It was goo, and then they forget it. That's what's so funny is just, again, there's such a technological assembly, and, like, they don't even know about this. And even that would have been interesting to talk about that, is that, like, all you see brains do, and this never really amounts to anything, is the whole, like, gravity, like, using his mind to to levitate something and i'm like this dude is supposed to have made all of this and in the show you see that you know he's making designs and he's coming up with new innovations this brains just seems to be like oh he's trying to sort of like create the force with technology and it's like but you you don't get a sense of like he made all of that stuff and And yet tintin can do it without any help and you would think he would be more hard on himself if he allowed the goo to get onto the island or like would want to like know more about it it's it's what i like about i remember the thunderbird 6 film quite a lot because i think i had that like recorded from television and it's like the nice thing that brains is just like you know what 
with all this advanced technology, maybe we just need a little plane. You know, and even that might have been a better element to go with if they weren't interested in the ships, as we've already talked about. But one thing I did note, and this goes hand in hand with one of my criticisms, which Craig alluded to earlier, which is one, the kind of disinterest with the ships, but also the way they're presented. They very much are trailer shots. They're just so quick all the time. And some look very impressive. They look cool for the time. I think the visual effects are, you know, somewhat decent, but they're just so, you know, like quick and sudden and don't have the gravitas of the original launches, like we said. But also what made me laugh with Thunderbird 5 especially was the fact that this ship is spinning out of control, there's stuff everywhere. And then we cut to the guys and they're just like, we need to hold on, hopefully Alan's got us. I really wanted there to be a moment which would be like in Robot Chicken with Yoda in the ship, in which they're just like, oh, like, you know, because the amount that that ship was flipping around everywhere, they should have been like throwing up everywhere in that space station. I mean, they should have been impaled by shrapnel, to be fair. Okay, take those cassettes, rewind them, and play them again. Maybe not in this case, but we'll see. Uh, It's time for VHS Corner. So this week, I've been looking at the behind the scenes, because of course it would be me, because I'm genuinely fascinated by this stuff. Uh, So here are the things I've been able to find out. Let's start with people's reactions to the films, because I think there's a few that we need to establish. One is obviously the fact that the car is not, uh, is actually a Ford Europe, as opposed to what is established in the show as a very famous Rolls-Royce. You'll note that this car is obviously not a Rolls-Royce. Why is that the case? Rolls-Royce actively refused to be a part of this film, so would not let them use the car. So they had to change what car it was, and of course, Ford picked it up instead. Jerry Anderson, the creator of the entire premise of this universe, what did he think of this film? Did he like it? absolutely not. He described this film as the biggest load of crap I've seen in my entire life and even claimed that there was a film that was released around the same time as this film, which was closer, closer to his actual vision of what Thunderbird should be. And that was Team America World Police. And he doesn't even approve of that film and it's a majority. So the fact that he saw Team America and like all the things that they did and was just like, I like that you use puppets, but I hate everything else. was like, this was a better Thunderbirds film than your adaptation. It's saying a lot. Obviously, it didn't do very well financially. Um, Here are some of the headlines that were described um, about the film doing badly. Uh, Thunderbirds are no-go in the Daily Telegraph. Another paper using FAB, in this case, stands for Flop and Burn. However, it's important to note that Sylvia Anderson... The second half of the creation duo actually loved the film. Uh, So congrats, you have one fan. (laughs) One fan. Uh, This film was nominated for two awards uh, and won one of them. I think it's important to note that the film, uh, so the awards in question were the Stinker's Bad Movie Awards. And both of the nominations were for uh, Soren Fulton. So the child actor won um, so it was nominated for Worst Supporting Actor and won the, uh, specifically the Spencer Breslin Award for the Worst Performance by a Child. 
Now, David and I have obviously talked in the past about how it's harsh to nominate children for those things. One thing we do actually have to talk about because there is a, a serious aspect of this film. So I'm not sure if people noticed there was a dedication towards the end of this film. Uh, this film was dedicated to uh, Stephen Lowen. Um, not to be confused with a different Stephen Lowen who works in special effects. Um, but this Stephen Lowen was a rigger who worked on the film. Uh, while taking down a scaffolding, he fell 16 foot and was taken to hospital and placed on life support, where eventually it had to be taken off. So this film actually killed a man. He was described by many people uh, as a wonderfully friendly gentleman and would spread smiles wherever he went. So uh, obviously a horrible thing to ha happen. Okay, we've already mentioned a little bit, uh, but obviously we need to talk about the puppet origin of this film. Uh, specifically in this film, there are a couple of homages to that in the first place. So the most obvious is when the hood is controlling brains and directing him towards the control panel. It even says like a puppet on a string. The other thing that happened, we mentioned that in the original show, there would be moments where uh, they would cut to a real hand or a real foot doing something. They had a moment like that in this film, but in reverse, there's a moment where they're showing a hand going for a lever as they're taking off and the hand that they show is on strings. So that's a nice little fun homage. If only there were more aspects of that done throughout the film. Okay, let's talk about exactly why there was like not a love in, uh, a lot of love for this film. Uh, specifically, the concept of this film would be banded around since 1996. Here's everything that happened. Rumours circulated in April 1998 that Peter Hewitt was to direct the movie and shoot it entirely in CGI a la toy, toy Story style. It was then later reported that Warner Brothers was going to produce a live-action spin-off to the TV show with the Baldwin brothers, Alec Baldwin, William Baldwin, Stephen Baldwin, Daniel Baldwin, tipped to play four of the five Tracy brothers and Rowan Atkinson as brains. The Warner Brothers project would have been shot in Sydney, Australia in a collaboration with Village Roadshow Pictures. Polygram Pictures later picked up the project in October of that year and had planned to produce it on a budget of $75 million. But it was during pre-production that Universal Pictures bought out Polygram in 1999. That project was then shelved for three years until director Jonathan Frake signed up for the movie in July 2002. Universal Pictures then ordered a rewrite of the script with a much younger audience in mind than what had originally been planned. So the entire premise was meant to be much bigger, much bolder, actually closer to the show, but it just got banded around so much they essentially just got rid of it. What I do find weird, though, is that in casting for this film, we've already established there are a couple of big names like uh, Ben Kingsley, Bill Paxton, but then there are some lesser names. Here are some of the names that were almost involved with the project. Uh, so here are the various people who were considered for Lady Penelope. So Jerry Anderson wanted uh, Kristen Scott Thomas from Four Weddings and a Funeral. Uh, to, to be her. Um, if not her, other people considered were Joanna Lumley, Wendy Crewson, and Elizabeth Hurley. People who were at one at one point thought of for the uh, for the role of Alan, Matt Damon and Leonardo DiCaprio. And for the role of Parker, uh, they thought of uh, Pete Postlewaite. And also, even auditioning for the role, Sylvester McCoy. So yeah, could have had a lot more names attached to this film in bizarre circumstances. But yeah, that is everything from VHS Corner for this week. So handing it over to you guys insofar as like interesting facts there. So Di, you obviously hated 
the one thing that we were talking about. So feel free to go off on one. Well, it's just that they did an obvious reference to puppeting, and then he didn't do the actual movements like the puppets from the specific type of you know marionette thing. Which really, I felt like Brains probably should have been doing throughout the whole movie. You know, he's this weird, like you know, boffin character. He could have easily done that kind of actual Brains the puppet movement. Um, but ultimately, the actor playing Brains, he was just boffins, wasn't he? He was absolutely awful. Did absolutely nothing. Um, I mean, everyone else was a bit bland, but he was one of the only ones given an actual genuine character, and he did. He achieved nothing. He had this weird lisp thing, knocks at the stutter which was, you know, humorless and kind of mean. And other than that, he was just boring. Um, yeah, he was the worst part of the movie, and I, I, don't, I did not like him. And then they gave him a one part where he could have acted like an actual Gary Anderson puppet, and he just, I guess he'd never seen the show or something. He didn't understand it. To the credit of the young actor, I think he's more like brains uh, than that actor. And I think, like you said, Di, if, apart from the fact that maybe he's got blue glasses, I think you would just look at him and go, oh, yeah, he's just the nerd scientific character. I think of all the characters, that's the one you kind of want to in- immediately recognize, especially by giving him fully framed glasses would help. But yeah, you you just don't see him and think, oh, brains. I think it's problematic that you even look at other characters and go oh yeah that's probably alan that's probably him that's tintin that's lady penelope so it's it's weird that he isn't recognizable doesn't act act much like the character and isn't sort of linked in with the technology but yeah you're right like they could have incorporated the sort of like puppetry elements with his character a bit more there as well so what about the fact that the child actor was getting lots and lots of of these awards, uh, like bad awards given to him. Because I think that's harsh. I think it is harsh because, again, I, I thought that actually, in some ways, that the actor who played Alan was worse sometimes because I thought that at least the one who was playing Fermat would, had his moments, had some funny moments, and I think even the production let him down. Like the fact that when he's like in the water and you've got this like very obvious voiceover of like, you know, like you can't swim and like it's like we know they're not saying that. There's even moments in the film in which they're like going through the jungle and they are clearly not saying anything or different saying different things. They all looked like the generic noughties child star archetypes. I think the the kid didn't deserve any of those bad actor awards because he reminded me of literally every other noughties child movie nerd child. He acted perfectly for what I reckon he was probably told to act. It was just irritating and terrible. Yeah, the role was what was the problem, not him. Um, but the one who was amazing and really made the movie for me was just watching how much of a great time Vanessa Hudgens' character was having all the way through. Like, no matter what, like, peril or danger was going on, she was just stood at the back grinning and, like, you know, gurning and everything. She looked like she was having a great holiday. Like, the whole time, there was no anything for her. It was only about halfway through that she started actually getting lines and becoming a character. At the beginning, she was literally just stood nearby everyone else, just grinning at them and being like, oh, this is nice. Oh, oh, do 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 And then has a bit of adventure. We also mentioned about the budget. Something I remember from, again, the behind the scenes of the film was, you know, the very random end shot in which they're like, we've saved the day. Now it's time to go off and rescue some more people. Sunset. And then just randomly Lady Penelope's there. And she's in a pedalo, yeah. Apparently that was meant to be an entire sequence in the film. So, you know, when they fly to Tracy Island and face the hood, apparently originally uh, the hood, etc., like shot them down. And then out of the car came that, 
inflatable boat and she then says like you know like chop chop parker and he like pedals to the island so the fact that they were like they couldn't afford that sequence anymore so they had still shot that bit but they didn't have the budget to do all the vfx for it so they were just like let's just keep that shot in and just have it randomly at the end and it's just like okay (laughs) it's like did you want to wrap up penelope's story like where did she go (laughs) Uh, it it literally adds nothing to the film apart from having thunderbirds by busting well yeah obviously (laughs) yeah but anything could have done that right that's not specific uh i also want to use that as a great song i want to use that moment actually to bring up uh somebody's love of that song which as we talked about it it's it's a banger um which i think you'll appreciate uh craig as a sort of fellow you know quiz fanatic is richard osman who has gone on the record for stating his love for this song several times uh, one time he said, Thunderbirds Are Go by Busted it was one of the best movie theme tunes of all time. That's just facts. Uh, he said that recently. Then in 2018, he said, Thunderbirds Are Go by Busted is a better song than Stairway to Heaven. Have a great bank holiday weekend, everyone. And then uh, his early, another earlier one said, I know that Bob Dylan won the Nobel Prize for Literature, but he never has written a single line as good as it always looks so cool when spaceships come out of the pool. Thunderbirds by Busted. So thank you, Richard Osman, for that and that appreciation. So as we said earlier, we have our usual task of deciding whether today's film deserves a place in our movie vault. So for new listeners or guests, we like to think of this as our time capsule of films, good and sometimes bad. That should be remembered for someone to dig up in the future. Maybe it deserves its fame, maybe it's been forgotten, or maybe it's great but doesn't quite fit the bill. I don't think that's the case for this film. So should Thunderbirds from 2004 gain the honour of a place in our movie vault and be remembered for all time? Let's go to Liv first. What do you think, Liv? Hell no. (laughs) At the very least, think of this film as a disease, and if you put it near the other films in the vault, they might catch it. It's not worth the risk. Okay, clearly said. Di, what do you think? Obviously not. I mean, I've seen a lot of movies for this podcast, and to be honest, I've forgotten a lot of them already. But at least that took a couple of months for me to forget. Like, I saw this movie yesterday, and you guys are reminding me of things that I saw only about 24 hours ago, because it's so unremarkable. I'm amazed we were able to talk about it for this long, really. It is just a corporate made just a to b let's recycle a bunch of old toys and then you know leave it at that basically it's so cheap it's so pointless there's so little really creativity at any point i feel like there's an attempt at times to make it a bit funnier in camper um really reminiscent reminded me of those old um they brought back the scooby-doo movies and made them quite kind of humorous and camp it was as though they'd seen them and thought oh maybe we could do it but they weren't allowed and yeah, it's so unremarkable. We should have just an extra little puddle outside the vault that we can check it into. <laughs> the movie puddle, I love that. Movie but, puddle. But uh, yeah, I think the Scooby-Doo films are quite a good comparison, actually, as to as Liv was saying earlier, again, that, that time period and how to maybe do that well and with nostalgia and affection, which some people have for those movies, um, but then also still being somewhat very different to the original source material. Craig, you recommended, well, I say you recommended, I won't say that. You suggested this film. Uh, what is your thoughts? Yes. I'm just joking. <laughs> off, no. Like, no. I brought it I brought it here because I wanted something which was just a bit of fun. Like, was it that? Yes. Was it incredibly, credibly flawed? Yes. Is there much value in this? No. 
yeah, let's just move on with our lives. Yeah. I think for me, the only thing, you know, I'd say the legacy is the song, like I said, from yeah, Busted, but okay, and it's if right we at ever, the end. If we song. ever want to go back and have like an entire like playlist, Spotify list yeah. of the movie vault, then we can ch- chat. But as you said, Die, you know, it, it's a very corporate film, not memorable at all. And hopefully we get a sort of better tribute to the Thunderbirds in the future. But yeah, not into the movie vault this week. Rightfully so, I think. <laughs> into the puddle it goes, as Dai said. So yeah, not into the movie vault for Thunderbirds. Do you disagree at home? Is there a similar film you'd like to see us discuss? One from that era? Do let us know. But now we go to our final section, which is the end game. We're in the end game now. It's so annoying. Five, four, three, two. Endgame times are go. So despite that introduction, this game has nothing to do with Thunderbirds. Instead, what I wanted to do is I wanted to focus on the puppet origin uh, of the original show. So what I've done is I've got a number of characters who are either puppets or portrayed by puppets in their films. And I'm going to give you a I'm going to give you up to five details of those characters in a sequence and Basically, you're going to guess, quickfire, either the character or the film that, or franchise that it's from, right? So, for example, if the character I was describing was David, I might go film fanatic, brown hair, glasses, weedy, annoying co-host. <laughs> and depending on what clue you got the right answer would determine how many points that you get. Right, so for each individual question, you can get either five to one point. Basically, you'll be buzzing in. So what I want you to do in order to buzz in um, is essentially... Actually, you both have like one-syllable variations of your names, so that's good. So basically, die. Uh, if you think if you think you have the answer, your buzzer will be... Live. I mean, if you want to swap names, it could be fun, but it's yeah. so long as you're not threatened by Liv just screaming die at any point. It's German for the... <laughs> okay so die your buzzer is live and live your buzzer is die so as always all of us will have brought in a film suggestion for the next episode uh that we want to basically present so the winner of the end game will get a choice of any of the four films presented so it doesn't have to be your own it can be one of the ones presented in front of you. So to start off, David, tell us a little bit about your film. Uh, so my film also goes with the same sort of linking theme that you had, Craig, in terms of like people being stuck on an island and needing rescuing and needing help. So this is uh, a film from 1998. Uh, it's from a studio and a sort of overarching company that we haven't talked about surprisingly in a long time. Uh, it's kind of overlooked uh within the kind of pantheon of films that this studio has done uh it's an animated film and i think has become quite timely and relevant recently in which i saw a tweet in which i very much agreed with in which it said i'm surprised the kids who grew up on this film uh haven't sort of grown up to be more rebellious considering the lessons that this film taught them uh in terms of standing up for yourself so that is my film choice uh which i'm putting forward today Di, tell us a little bit about yours. I went for a film that I think is kind of the perfect version of the film that we've just seen. Um, 
I went for the, I was thinking about, this is about rocket ships. So I thought rockets and then I thought, no, I can't do Star Trek. So I veered away from that into something else. But basically, camp done perfectly. One of the greatest soundtracks any movie has ever had. And that's it, basically. Okay, fantastic. Liv, tell us a little bit about your film. Well, I figured, so this 2004 Thunderbirds movie based on the Thunderbirds TV show. So let's extend that further and go for one of the sequels of the 2004 Thunderbirds movie. You're looking at me all confused. But let me reveal to you the Vanessa Hudgens extended universe. Okay. Where all Vanessa Hudgens characters exist within the same universe. And this is a well-known accepted fact for lovers of rom-coms. And she always plays some magical adjacent characters as in the Thunderbirds 2004 movie. So what I'm suggesting is a film much later along in the Vanessa Hudgens extended universe from 2019. And just to, uh, just to wrap up then, my film, interestingly, my film has either been mentioned or will be mentioned before the end of this podcast. Yeah, I'm not going to give you many more details than that. That is the link. There has already been a reference to this film or even the title of this film already mentioned. So if you want to find that out, you'll have to win. Are we ready for round one of 54321? Not even vaguely. Okay. Already. Five. Small. Four. Green. Three. <laughs> Live. Die. It must be Kermit. Is the answer Kermit? It's not Kermit. Oh, I know. Oh, you also that. only get one guess per per answer, so Die is now out for the rest of this. So, Liv, are you ready? Yeah. Three. Old. Two. Wise. <laughs> Oh, oh well, I'm wrong anyway. Right, what? I, I was going to say uh, the bin guy from Sesame Street. Oscar the Grouch. Yeah. Is it Oscar the Grouch? It is not. It's not wise. It's Yoda. If you had got to one, the answer would have been Jedi. Should have waited. I think it would be Robin. Kermit's Ro- nephew. Oh, yeah. Okay. Number two. Five, long, four, white, three, magical, two, flying, one, dragon. I've seen this. Okay, well, I mean, you can also say the film as opposed to just the character. Wait, die? I don't know his actual name. I think we both got it, so I don't think it counts to matter. The dragon in The NeverEnding Story. Is it The NeverEnding Story? Yes, it is. It is Falcor. Couldn't remember the film. Could have remembered film. I didn't remember the name of it, and I think no. But I said you can have the name of the film right at the beginning of the rules. I just want the film or the character or the franchise of the character. So that is one point to die. Number three. Five. Naive. Four. Flawed. Three. But learning. Two. Wooden. But oh, die. Live. Pinocchio. Is it Pinocchio? Yes, it's Pinocchio. I've never been more scared in my life. So that's two points to live. The last clue there would have been boy. Okay, number four. Five, Bossy. Four. Dramatic. Die. Live. Miss Piggy. Is it Miss Piggy? Yes, it's Miss Piggy. That was a gamble. There so are that's a lot four of points cartons. to live. The other clues would have been glamorous pink pig. Okay, number five. Still everything to play for. Hungry, 
Carnivorous, alien, singing, plant. Oh, Liv, is it um, the Feed Me Seymour, the um, uh, the Little Shop of Horrors? It is indeed Little Shop of Horrors. It is the flower Um, Audrey 2. Audrey, yeah. Yeah, Audrey 2 specifically. Because he names it after the love interest. Mm, yeah. And then depending on if you're following the Broadway version of the film, determines what happens to Audrey. Mm. Number six. Five, Possessed. Four, sadistic. Die? Chucky. Is it Chucky? Yes, it is Chucky. So that's another three points to die. For a moment, I thought the answer was live, and then I was really confused. <laughs> I forgot how the buzzers were working. I wanted Miss Piggy to be a, the answer again. <laughs> Possessed. You're like, what? Oh my god. The final clues would have been childlike, deformed serial killer. Okay. The final question. Uh, David, remind us of the scores going into this. So it's uh, five to die and six to live. Ooh. Ooh. Terrifying. Number seven. The king, large, powerful, scaly, dinosaur. Die. Live. Um, Godzilla. Is it Godzilla? It's not Godzilla. What's what's the scaly dude? Well, I mean, we have to see if Die can have a guess. So basically any character in any film or franchise that is a puppet or as or has been played partly by a puppet that matches those descriptions. Yeah, like, 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 the T-Rex in Jurassic Park. He's king of the lizards. He's that scaly. is the correct answer, Die. <laughs> I'm definitely screenshotting Die's reaction there. Like when you win a win game. Yes. <laughs> nope. So that means it's a tie, I believe. Yes, yes. Six all. So that means we go to a tie break. This is my second endgame tie. Are we ready? Yeah. And this is going to be slightly unorthodox. So this is fastest to get this first. I just want the film. Five. Do. Four. Not. Three. Feed. Two. After. Oh, uh, Gremlins. Is the answer Gremlins? Yes, it is. Die is the winner of the end game. In a clutch. Cl- I'm so sorry. Uh, you were so close. Victory snatched at the last moment. <laughs> so, Die, congratulations. How do you feel? Um, I, I feel quite sad, to be honest. I'm <laughs> disappointed to have beaten Olivia. It's. It's fine. We were all we were all scared of Liv's film choice. So. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you mean the best film choice. (laughs) We shall see. The question is, is it Mm. Dai's film choice? So, of the four options given in front of you, which is the one would you like to go with? Would you like to go with David's film from 1998? Would you like to go with Liv's film from 2019? Would you you like to go with my film, which has been nebulously mentioned at some point in this podcast? Or do you want to go with your own film suggestion? It's between Craig and Liv. Um, I'm excited just by the fact that we've already mentioned it at some point. But I think for the integrity of this podcast, I think 
more Vanessa Hudgens movies <laughs> and exploring because she and really it's a reward for for old Nessa for being just the best part of that movie we just watched like she was honestly on holiday the whole time and I loved it and I really want to see what else she's done with her life like is she that just detached and joyful in all of her movies um just like a happy passenger for her entire career so I think we have to go with with that amazing so Liv it sounds like your film has been chosen building on more of what you were saying and then finally reveal to us what film you have brought before us so the reason i picked this one specifically isn't because of the link i tenuously made it's because this afternoon i was sat with a few friends trying to work out how i could troll craig oh, um, oh jesus <laughs> yeah carry so, on. yeah so i this is a film that describes itself as a modern day romance with a medieval twist it's something that is honestly one of the best pieces of writing I've seen this century. It has so many underlying clever little themes and so many commentaries on just the past and the present. It's something that I think will really intellectually tingle your brains. <laughs> so do you want to hear what it is? preferably yeah this is a mm. podcast reliant on you telling us what the film is yeah that would be useful i imagine well it is not the nightmare before christmas it is also not the night before christmas with an n it is the night before christmas with a k oh <laughs> wait so is this a christmas film? oh my life why <laughs> how do you troll craig Oh, goodness. I'm sorry, sake. David, that you're a casualty. <laughs> and our next guests as well. Wow. Oh, no. Oh, God. I'm sorry in advance. <laughs> Thank you, Di, for letting me do that. The, the, this is what we feared with this format of uh, the podcast, which Craig brought up, which we haven't had so far, which, uh, yeah, has now been brought upon us. So, Well, you'd have seasonally inappropriate films. No, we'd have films used purely as punishment, yeah. especially for Craig. So, yeah, the night. Before Christmas, spelled with a K, uh, from 2019. Uh, you can catch it over on Netflix uh, at the moment if you want to watch along with us. And uh, also, yeah. <laughs> why would you want to watch along with us? I'm Save this episode for December. Honestly, you sold Vanessa Hudgens to me. I'm going to watch all of her movies now. It has a higher rating than the Thunderbirds 2004 movie. I should note that. Now. To be fair, yeah, it does have a 5.6 oh on IMDb. I'm I I oh. think to be fair, that, that apart from just the punish Craig thing, this is one of my favorite links. Just in terms of the fact that Die was purely like I enjoyed the performance so much, especially calling her Nessa, <laughs> in which she was on holiday. I just love how like the the, the logic there. So yeah, well done, guys. <laughs> the Hudge is um you know in my heart. Right. Okay. Well, thank you guys. Well done to uh, die for your end game win there. And uh, well done to live for getting, uh, getting your film chosen uh, with such an intriguing premise. We've had lots of fun weirdly talking about this awful Thunderbirds uh, remake, uh, but we've had a lot of, uh, yeah, great times talking about some of the weird choices uh, and just the sort of bad, bad choices made throughout it. So uh, we'll let you guys... Uh, <laughs> get away now but uh thank you for joining us uh is there any way people can catch you live i know you're on letterbox where can people catch you uh follow you on there 
Yeah, you can find me on Letterboxd. I'm at Cravania, K-R-A-V-A-N-I-A. Awesome. Go check out Liv there. You can cut that fork. Di, anything you got coming up that you want to shout out? Any projects? Anything happening in Cardiff, Wales? No, I don't have any much social media either. You can find me in the Museum of Cardiff normally. We nearly got closed down by the council, so, you know, come and visit it because it's now defiantly open still. So come and visit the Museum of Cardiff. Bring Di your Vanessa Hudgens DVDs so he can can start to collect them. You joke, but the princess swap. Really? Mm. We'll be just talking about this off air. Craig, anything lasty from yourself? I feel like I need to say these words before, like, before everything that I love just disappears, but FAB. <laughs> Definitely a good point to end, considering how many times they randomly say it in, in the film we've discussed today. So, yep, yeah, thank you everyone for listening. We'll see you next time for <laughs> Night Before Christmas. Thank you once again to live and die, and yeah, we'll catch you in the next one. F-A-B. 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 Thunderbirds are gone. Dear God, what have we unleashed? To keep up with the latest episodes of Well Good Movies, you can listen to us on all your usual podcast outlets, including Apple, Google, Spotify, YouTube, and more. Don't forget to follow us, subscribe, and rate us where you can to keep our podcast growing. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Well Good Movies to keep up with the latest news and highlights from all our episodes, as well as tell us what movies you want to be discussed in the future. And if all of that isn't enough, you can also find us at our website, freshtakehub.com slash wellgoodmovies, where you can catch all our episodes along with videos and articles deep diving into the worlds of film and television. So what are you waiting for? Go check out the film we'll be discussing in next time's episode.